Let's pray. Father, we come to you again this afternoon, Lord. Humble hearts. You have been applying the hammer so faithfully this week, O oh God. We are humbled before you. So again, this afternoon, we invite your presence into this meeting. Father, for me, I ask for a gentle spirit, Lord, an humble, beseeching spirit, tender and caring. Would you do that for me, Lord? Father, would you work in the hearts of these young ladies? Make them ready to receive your word, Lord, the truth of your word. May it be effective for the glory of for your glory and for the exalting of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And for the heavenly realm, Lord, as we think about preparing souls for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we just jump right in here today, I want to, I want to honor Brother Larry today for, for um, bringing out that verse, that 10,000, though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet not many fathers. That was on my heart the entire time as I provided this talk for, or as I worked on this talk about fatherhood yesterday and gone. It's been a burden on my heart for a long time. We've got a lot of philosophers. We've got a lot of theologians. We've got a lot of teachers who can explain deep things. But little children need caring hearts. They need fathers and mothers, friends and, and those who are willing to get really close to them. So I just wanted to, to appreciate that. Thank you, brother. The burden is no less today than it was yesterday, sisters. It feels a little different to me. I... I will have to acknowledge. We're going to be using for you, dear ladies, the book of Ruth, primarily. The book of Ruth and the book of Proverbs. So you can get your Bibles open to the book of Ruth. And again, we're not going to be able to spend a lot of time just focusing there, but there will be several verses we'll refer to there. So, today the, the scriptural title is, As is the Mother. If you were to look in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 16, you will find an old proverb there. It's an old proverb. And in the book of Ezekiel, it is a proverb that the Word of God uses against the children of Israel, against Jerusalem. But it was a proverb nonetheless. As is the mother, so, in my own words, I, I'm not sure of the exact quotation, but so shall her daughter be, or words to that effect. As is the mother, so is the daughter, if you please. You can look it up to get the exact words. We're not going to talk about Jerusalem or, or fallen uh, Israel today, but that proverb was a proverb nonetheless from years and years and years and years ago, so much so that the writer of Ezekiel knew about that proverb, and he said there was an old proverb, and they're going to use it against you. What I want to happen after today is for that proverb, as is the mother, so shall her daughter be, to be used for you, not against you. I want it to be used as an honor to you potential mothers 
An old proverb, as is the mother, so shall her daughter be. My burden for today, to give you a little idea of the track of my heart in case it doesn't show up through the rest of the message, molding and holding hearts for heaven. When I say molding and holding hearts for heaven, sisters, I'm not talking about necessarily um, molding and holding them until they get to the heavenly realm. I'm talking about doing the work of heaven in their hearts. Doing it in, in the stead of, of God or in Jesus, of Jesus Christ. As, as small children are brought into your home, you're doing heaven's work. Molding and holding hearts for heaven. A position of responsibility. So again, I feel very humble today. I have never been a mother. I can't even claim to be halfway through motherhood or partway through. Like I should say about fatherhood, I'm working my way through that by God's grace. I've never been a mother. I never will be. But I do have a deep appreciation for mothers. And God does too. There's a special place for mothers. When I think of godly mothers, real true mothers who are called in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, these two phrases came to mind immediately. As I began to meditate on this, I thought of words like intense involvement. And I thought complete commitment. So I wrote them up there so that they would maybe imprint themselves in your minds. Those are some thoughts that came to me. Intense involvement. Think about it. Potential mothers, dear sisters. Older ladies in the back, uh, you sisters back there, I'll please be gracious with me. I feel a little sheepish with these older sisters back here who have been mothers, are mothers and have been mothers. And if I don't get it right, just please forgive and have some grace with me. I, I feel a little funny today standing up here as a man and, and saying, all right, ladies, here's how it is. But all right, ladies, here's how it is. Holding and molding hearts for heaven. There's a place for you, a very, very vital and important place for you in the kingdom. If you are called to be a mother. Ezekiel 16.44 Behold, everyone that useth Proverbs shall use this proverb against thee. As is the mother, so is her daughter. And I say, so is her son. So are her children. That's an old proverb, and it's a true one. 2 Timothy verse, chapter 1, verse 5. I call, uh, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that in thee also. Now, there's a lot more to that story than what we read right there, but there's a pretty strong implication that there was a couple mothers spending a lot of intense involvement and complete commitment in the life of a young man named Timothy. Psalms 144, verse 12. That our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace. Mothers have a large, large part in that. Proverbs 31, verse 28. Her children shall arise up and call her blessed, and her husband also, and he praiseth her. Her children shall arise up and call her blessed. <clears throat> I have a little poem here. 
and it's about clay. Remember, we're molding and holding hearts for heaven. I put a brother in a little bit of an awkward position here, and he's humbly agreed to do this. You remember that I that I drew an arrow for the boys, the young men yesterday, and I just confess that's the extent of that's the extent of my artwork ability. And a straight arrow is about the best I can do for drawing. And so I wanted to honor you with some artwork as well. And and I guess I guess this also partly illustrates um, my inability to draw kind of illustrates a point that I want to make. You see, we men are strong. We're tough. We can discipline. We can set some high goals and standards. We can draw back a boat. We can carve out arrows, and we can put a piece of flint on the end and feathers on the back, and we can draw that thing back, and we can shoot that thing, and we can propel it for all it's worth. But it takes a mother to gently take those little vessels in her hands, those little hearts, those little pieces of flesh and mold them and hold them and shape them and make them into something that's fit for the master's use. A man's got a lot of power, but a woman's got a lot of gentleness and tenderness. So Brother Joe, would you... I'm just going to keep on talking. But I've, asked, I've asked Brother Joe to come up here and he's humbly agreed and he made a lot of disclaimers about his ability in artwork. And... I, I think we can all honor that, and, and we're just going to appreciate the effort and, uh, and, and, uh, in doing that, and, and there will be no mockery of the end result, brother. The intention is, is just to honor these ladies with a little piece of artwork and to illustrate a little bit about a potter holding a, 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 a small vessel in his hand and, uh, and working with it. Okay, here's the poem. I took a piece of plastic clay and idly fashioned it one day, and as my fingers pressed it still, it moved and yielded at my will. I came again when days were past, the form I gave it still it bore. And as my fingers pressed it still, it moved. I could, I could change that form no more. Let me read that verse again. I came again when days were past, the form I gave it still it bore. And as my fingers pressed it still, I could change that form no more. I have a window of time. I took a piece of living clay and gently formed it day by day, and molded with my power and art a young child's soft and yielding heart. I come again when days were gone. It was a man I looked upon. He still that early impress bore, and I could change it nevermore. Every word, every action, will leave a mark upon a child for good or for bad. Sisters, intense involvement complete commitment the hours and hours and days and days that you spend in the presence of your child every action every word will leave a mark upon a child for good or for bad I believe there's a reason for that God has children molded and shaped inside of a woman's womb the reason he brings it about like that I think it's illustrative I believe personally that it typifies the importance of motherhood and the responsibility of keeping children near the heart and, and of a mother expending her entire effort and entire being in molding and shaping and holding a heart of a child. God has wonderful ways of bringing these illustrations to our and reminding us of, of our duties that way. child is formed very near to a mother's heart. And it's our responsibility, sisters, to... I'll, I'll just have to say you're... I'll probably, I'll probably continually refer to our responsibility in us and, 
and uh, I'm not a mother, so just please understand, it's, it's your responsibility to, to be the one who, just, just feel the weight of that responsibility, the impresses of your fingers, and the changes that the, the use of your hands on their little hearts can make. Thus, the cry for another generation to answer the call of molding and sculpting, shaping and holding hearts for heaven. I want to give you three perspectives of motherhood in current day, the setting we find ourselves in the United States of America. Three perspectives. One of them is this one. Unwanted. Unwanted. 50% of all pregnancies are unwanted. In the world. I think that's the world, actually. 50% are unwanted. Nearly half of these 50% of unwanted pregnancies end in murder. 42 million abortions in the world yearly. Current statistics. Unwanted. That's one perspective of some potential mothers. Here's another perspective that we have to deal with today. And this is just a, it really doesn't apply much, but it is another perspective. The woman's name is Janet Jenkins, and you're all familiar with that. Here's a little news clip. Because of his, because of Ken Miller, his brazen intervention, a child, an American citizen, is growing up outside this country, and a mother, I don't want to slander a soul, but a mother, she's being called, must bear the unimaginable, an unimaginable daily torment of being separated from her child without any word on her child's health or well-being. I don't want to be unsympathetic with her heart, but we all know that the intentions and the condition and the environment would be very evil. That's another perspective, an evil perspective of motherhood. Two mothers. I appreciated that quick, almost humorous illustration of it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, that somebody, should, Brother David, shared. It's rotten and it's sick. Here's a third perspective, and this is one I want to hold up before you. And I think all of you are familiar with Anna of Rotterdam, probably. And I'm just going to quickly, I'm just going to quickly read you uh, four paragraphs out of her entreaty to her son, her little boy, who was about to, she was about to be, she was about to be executed for her faith, and she had only had a few short years with this son. And so she wrote him a letter, lengthy letter. You can find it in the Martyr's Mirror on page 453 if you want to read the entire thing. Of a godly mother living in intense situations and the message she said for her, had for her son. Maybe I won't read them all, but here's a couple of them. See, my son, here you can hear that no one can come into life except through this way. Therefore, enter in through and through the straight gate, receive the chastisement and instruction of the Lord, bow your shoulders under his yoke, and cheerfully bear it from your youth. That was the message of this mother to her son. See, my son, this way has no retreats. There are no roundabouts or crooked little paths. Whosoever departs to the right or to the left inherits death. Behold, this is the way which is found by so few and walked by a, by a still far smaller number. For there are some who well perceive that this is the way to life, but it is too severe for them. It pains their flesh. A mother, recognizing that she was inviting her son into a life of pain, possibly physically, and in a lot of pain because she was encouraging him to walk with the Lord Jesus. Observe that which the Lord commands you, and sanctify your body to His service, that His name may be sanctified, praised, and made glorious and great in you. Be not ashamed to confess Him before men. Do not fear men. Rather, give up your life and to depart from the truth. If you lose your body, which is earthly, the Lord your God has prepared you a better one in heaven. This was in a letter to this young man. His mother... I would like you to ponder, what would you write if you had a son for 6, 8, 10, 12, 14 years? Just a few short years and you had a letter to write to him. What would you tell him? Think about it. 
What would you leave to him? What message would you share? Whatever you do, do it all in the praise of his name. Honor the Lord in the works of your hands. And let the light of the gospel shine through you. Love your neighbor. Deal with an open, warm heart thy bread to the hungry. Close the naked and suffer not to have anything twofold. For there are always some who will lack. That was the message of this mother. The third perspective. A godly mother who wanted nothing more than the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to shine through her son in spite of the fact that it would be painful, in spite of the fact that in his setting it would probably end in death. That is the perspective I want to hold before you today. Molding and holding hearts for heaven. Motherhood. The state of being a mother is also a living calling built on the foundation of, of servanthood. To be a godly mother, to, be a, a, to answer the call, the high call, a mother is a servant of God, allowing him to bless others through her. A mother needs to focus on people rather than on personal performance. She needs to focus on their hearts and needs. A mother needs to be able to make others feel valuable. A mother must have no partiality in her heart. A mother, in order to be successful, needs to learn victory over self by total surrender to the will and purpose of God. On a light note, again, for you sisters, Motherhood has some interesting things with it that come along with it. I might forewarn you, if you're considering the call of motherhood, you may go out to the storage shed or the garage someday and find your two of your younger children, ages two to four years old, taking glass canning jars off the shelf and throwing them on the concrete floor just because the noise is cool. It sounds neat. And little children like to make a mess. That may happen to you. You will find, I almost guarantee it, that all of a sudden, a mud puddle, rather than just being a mud puddle, develops into a magnet instead of a mud puddle. Having the same effect as a mud puddle would rather than a magnet, of course. You may discover beautiful artwork on your walls where you really had no desire for any artwork to be. And you will have the challenge of figuring out how to remove it as well as figuring out how to train that child not to draw artwork just anywhere. Another event that comes along with motherhood that you might as well plan on is that nasty, dirty little job of changing diapers. Maybe that's not the same to you, but to me as not a mother, that's how it is to me. My wife can testify and she can tell you exactly how many years it went without a day of reprieve from changing diapers. Years and years and years of just day after day after day, sometimes two different children at the same time. But yet again, the same reward as fatherhood, the gentle squeezes, the soft squeezes and the love notes, they're the same for mothers as they are for fathers. This one's good. The uncertain looking to you for affirmation and security. These soft little hearts that they didn't ask to be born into this world. They don't know what's going on. They didn't ask to be placed in your home even. and They don't know how to deal with life yet. And they're, and they're looking at you and they want affirmation and security. It's a lovely, lovely little thing you can do. A big thing you can do. The happy laughter and the fun times. It's a good calling. It's a, it's, a, it's a rich calling. The calling of motherhood. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Amen. We want to consider Ruth for a bit of an example of preparing for motherhood. But first, but first I, want to just, I want to just assure you that, you know, when you get, your, when you get a, a job description, sisters, I don't know how many times you've applied for work, but when you get your job description, sometimes you can... You can look at that thing and it can look pretty overwhelming. And I just want to briefly mention a few things that, 
that you don't have to worry about in this job. You don't have to spend a lot of time fretting about or anything like that. There are a few things that the job description of mother do not include. The job description of a mother does not include being a beauty model. When you're called to be a mother, beautician is not part of that job description. Just kindly give you these. When you're called to be a mother and, and you look at that application and you're worried about everything that you might be asked to do, I would just kindly, um, just to ease your mind a little, remind you that, that it doesn't include news reporter. You don't have to worry about that one at all. It doesn't have to be a part of that job description. And to even go a little further, you don't have to worry about being an interior designer. Don't fret yourself about that. There's plenty of things to worry about other than that. So there's just a few things that, and there's others, that you can really narrow this, this work field down and, and the calling, really. Just take it one little thing at a time, and there's a few things you can just put off to the side and, and recognize that that's, that's not even part of that job. So Ruth chapter 4, verse 13 here. I want us to notice, this is why I chose Ruth for, I, I chose Ruth at the, at the encouragement of my wife and our hearts were working together on, on this. We both come to the same conclusion at about the same time. And, but we'll find here, and maybe we'll just quickly read this. Verse 13 says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife, and when he went unto her, the Lord gave her conception, she bare a son. And, they, and the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the, the women, said, Blessed be the name of the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age for thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better for thee, to thee than seven sons hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the woman, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There was a son born to Naomi, and they called him Obed. And, and, and the, reason we, the reason I'm impressed with being drawn to, Naomi, uh, to, to Ruth as an illustration among many others is that, he, that she is the mother of a man named Obed, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David, and we recognize in our memory verse that Jesus Christ of the seed of David. So ultimately, Ruth becomes the mother of our Lord Savior Jesus. So Ruth, I believe, is a good example for us today as we think about motherhood. And, and, and the promise in verse 15, He shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. That was spoken to Naomi. But I believe the same could be said of, of Ruth. He shall be a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. I see two women working together as a team, as mothers. They t the, the mother gathered the grandmother, and they worked together, a little bit like Lois and Eunice and Timothy there. They worked together, and they developed a child that was, a, was a, the crown of their old age, a restorer of their life, and a nourisher of the old age. Remember as this, as you prepare for motherhood, what you do and are, they likely will be just the little impresses of your fingers and the effects that you have. That's, that's the old proverb, as is the mother. As is the mother. We're going to do the same thing today, sort of like we did for the young men yesterday in fatherhood. There's five points of preparation and five points of position also in this. The five points of preparation are important, again, for the same reason, because you can't teach something that you don't know yourself. And remember, you're preparing to be a mother, potentially. 
And in so doing, you're preparing to shape others and set them for the responsibilities of life and to shape them into vessels that the Lord Jesus can use in the kingdom. So, as we, as we uh, prepare, let's look at Ruth. And I'll just give you these five quick, and then we'll go back through them. Um, Ruth learned devotion. She learned responsibility. She learned reverence. She learned compassion. And she learned selflessness. Ruth chapter 2, verse 2. These are in particular order in the, in the life of Ruth. They're in the order they came to my heart. She learned, I'm sorry, Ruth chapter 1. She learned devotion. Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee. We all know the story how that, that uh, Naomi and her husband had gone down there to the land of Moab, and, and their two sons grew up, and they got wives from the native country there. I don't need to go into that. Uh, you are a group of Bible readers, and so I'll just skip a lot of the details. When it come time to leave, Ruth said, Entreat me not, Naomi was going back, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest I will go, and where thou lodgest I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left off speaking unto her, Naomi. When Naomi saw that she was steadfastly minded, when Naomi saw that Ruth was steadfastly minded to go with her, then Naomi left off speaking with her. Ruth was obviously devoted. She had learned how to be devoted to her mother-in-law. She had exercised in devotion. Learn to, learn to be devoted. The world does not set us a very good example in this. Marriage is optional. Remaining married is optional. This is what the world teaches you. More and more and more. Maybe they won't teach you, but they'll sure accept it. It is not optional. It is absolutely not by the power and the authority of the Word of God. It is not optional. Marriage, remaining married, is not optional. Divorce is not an option. Living together without being married is not an option. You must learn to be devoted because the setting will not always be wonderful. You may be asked to go to the land of Israel with, from Moab, your, your home, figuratively speaking. Learn to be devoted. When you're married to a husband, we'll find out that there's some responsibilities that go with that, possibly. And you've got to be devoted. Your children may not always do and say what you want them to. You're still their mother. And you've got to know how to be devoted. Devotion. Ruth, learn devotion. Be devoted. Start now. Start now. Be devoted to the home where you live. I don't know how many of you live at home as well, but I, I suspect that most of you probably do. Be devoted to your parents. Be protective and defensive of them. To your siblings. To the setting where you find yourself. Learn to be devoted. This is a good exercise that will go with you. You will need it in marriage. Ruth learned responsibility. Chapter 2, verse 2 now. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. I don't know that anybody had asked Ruth to go and glean out of the field um, or to gather corn or barley. But Ruth had learned responsibility. She knew there was work to be done. She knew there was mouths to feed. Thank you, Brother Joe. 
We all appreciate it very much. She had learned to be responsible, and on her own, without being told, she went out and she gathered corn and barley for, her, for the household where she was living. Proverbs 31, verse 27. She, Proverbs 31, speaks of the virtuous woman. I'm sure all of you are familiar, and probably some of you could recite the entire passage there. From, but uh, she looketh, in, in verse 27, she looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth, no bread, no, eateth not the bread of idleness. Learn responsibility. Ruth learned it. I don't know what all comes in the homes where you are, I had a, I'm not going to take the time to do it, but I wrote up a paraphrase of my wife, for my wife in, in Proverbs 31, and it lists a, a variety of modern day, current day, I should say, current day things that women have to deal with. Responsibilities come when we're, when we're molding and holding hearts for heaven. Cooking, cleaning. Laundry, teaching, nursing, and I could go on and on and on. And this is about this is about the potential mothers, but brothers, <laughs> I can't do it justice with words. What these women's hearts will do, I just can't. I come home sometimes, and I should say this more to Suzanne. I just marvel at everything that gets done from. Five or six in the morning till nine or ten at nine o'clock. At, at, at nine at not nine or ten at night. I'm sorry. I just marvel. I mean, I give you what five or six things: cooking, cleaning, laundry, teaching, nursing, counseling. I mean, I could go on and on. And these words don't even do it justice. But it comes out of a heart. It comes because they have a heart for their husband. It comes because of a heart for children. But ladies. Can you imagine the energy and the drive that it takes to do this? It doesn't just happen magically. When you get married, all of a sudden you say, I do and I vow and I will and, and honor and cherish and love and obey and respect. It doesn't, there's, no, there's, no, there's no switch that automatically gets flipped and all of a sudden you're filled with, with electricity that just drives and motivates you to, to do all these things. But I have no idea how they get done. It's got to be by the grace and power and spirit of God. I just admit I marvel time and again. But, however, I, I will insist that it doesn't just happen. And like Ruth, learn to be responsible because the responsibilities will weigh heavy on you. You will be called, as we, as we heard in First Timothy, to guide the house. And that's, that's a large responsibility. There's lots of things that happen in that house. Second Timothy. Ruth learned responsibility. Learn to be responsible in the tasks that you have before you today. I would say, to add to that just a little bit, go beyond, like I told the boys, go beyond what you're responsible for. Do extra things. Look for it to do, because there will be a time when it's all yours to do. Get some practice. Ruth learned reverence. Ruth learned reverence. I found the... the um, Definition of reverence to be rather interesting. It almost, in a little bit, in a, in a small way, sort of, sort of humorous in one sense in my heart, but very interesting. Reverence means to regard with fear, mingled with respect and affection. And I guess I was just trying to balance all that in my own mind. Regard 
with fear mingled with respect and affection. So just an interesting definition. That's what reverence means. Ruth learned reverence. Ruth fell on her face, bowed herself to the ground, and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? She obviously had some practice at being reverent. She'd never met this man before. She'd somehow fallen into his field by the grace of God. She found himself gathering from his field, and he obviously found a, a respect for her and an appreciation for her, but her immediate response was reverence. She fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground before this man. She had some fear of him. She obviously had some respect, and she learned to have affection, I'm sure, for him. Ruth knew about reverence. She knew it before she ever met Boaz because her first response was reverence. Proverbs 31, verse 11 says, The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. You see, your husband will have a heart, too. I hate to add one more burden to you, but husbands have hearts just like little children do, and sometimes they need held, too. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. I learned something from my wife on this one several, I don't know, months or years ago. This verse, I'm told, through the wisdom of women, that the reason her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land is this. And this is a big one. It implies that she has spoken well of him. You see, husbands are jerks sometimes. I'm just not even going to look over here, because maybe that's not true of everybody else. And I don't want to know it if it's not. But this one is. In my best attempts, in my strongest desire to be nurturing and cherishing, there's times when your husband will come home from work and he'll... I don't know if I want to expose myself. He'll pop down on the chair, and he'll have this closed look on his face, and the wife and children will be anxiously waiting for him to get home, and he may respond half-heartedly, and there he sits, and he's got something heavy and weighty on his mind, whether it be something of work or church or or even a burden for the family or just a fear of the future or, or whatever these things are that different men wrestle with, and there he sits, just like an old bum. There's all this work to be done. I mean, the place is a mess. I mean... There's yard work to do and garden to plant. And and for pity's sake, the least you could do is help set the table for supper. But listen. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. This implies that she has spoken well of him. Her well speaking has much to do with his success. I want to tell you, sisters. Well speaking of him, about him, as well as well speaking to him and encouraging his heart may actually change him into something besides that bum. A series of that kind of activity, and he may come home eager to share his burden with you then and to go on with the work and work side by side while we're sharing about it. And it all works together to where others hear nothing but good about him from you, no matter what his failings and and faults are, and to where he is encouraged, to where he actually improves. This is uh, coming from an an insecure husband sometimes, so maybe this... But I believe it's true of all of us, actually. I really do, to, to some degree or the other. And because of that, 
He possibly is successful when he sits in the gates, speaking with the elders among the land. This is a great attribute, too, when it comes to shaping children. Having good exercise and practice with speaking well to them and of them. I learned that from my wife. Your husband can be second rate in some areas of life, but your children can believe him to be top-notch. I learned that from Suzanne. The children must never, never, never hear anything. And this goes for you too, young men. Come out of your mouth disparaging about your companion. Ever. It'll be tempting because you'll have hours with them where nobody else is around. And they'll get a little bit older and maybe just get a little glimpse of a, a little grasp of understanding. And, yeah. So, there's, you can do tremendous damage with that. Don't speak evil of him or your children. Start now. You've got a perfect opportunity to... to to sanctify your tongues, set them aside for holy unto God, to be used only in encouragement and upbuilding and support of those that are in your life, especially those that are close to you, because the ones that are close to you are the ones who are the most easily hurt. Ephesians says, And the wife see that she reverence her husband. I believe you can start today with the current authority in your life. When does this end? I'm sorry. Is it... 12, is it 130, okay, thank you. You can start today by learning to reverence your dad and mom, maybe, if that's where you are. Learning to respect them, learning to, to fear them, mingled with respect and affection. Learning to not speak evil of them. Learning to encourage them, your siblings, all the same. Get some practice. Ruth learned compassion. Ruth chapter 1, verse 9. The Lord grant ye... The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Oh, I'm breaking in there for. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. Verse 9. Let's back up to 8. I was kind of breaking right in the middle of that story. Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. It says again in verse 14 that they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Ruth knew how to have compassion. Ruth wept with compassion. Proverbs 31, verse 20 says, She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. This virtuous woman, this godly mother, knows how to have compassion. Ruth cared about the feelings of her mother-in-law. She cared enough to weep for her, and she cared enough to weep again, and she cared enough then to go with her even weeping. She had compassion on her mother-in-law. She had practiced learning to be compassionate. We mothers-to-be need to be able to share pain. The scripture says, weep with them that weep, and weeping with them that weep is especially important in motherhood. There will be a lot of weeping. It's, it's good. It's the way it's supposed to be. There will be a lot of weeping. One mother was told one time, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. Prepare your hearts to feel the piercings of the Lord. Prepare your hearts to feel the piercing that's piercing those little ones. 
Great love is so often followed with great pain. And when you become a mother, you invite that right into your life and right next to your heart you do. Your children will get hurt. I guarantee it. Everything from the skinned knee to the weird feelings to the broken relationships as life goes on, they will need compassion. We'll talk a little bit more about your responsibilities in that a little bit later. You need to learn how to empathize, to feel their pain, to listen to it, not to scoff and scorn, not to turn away, not to act like it's a little thing. You know, little people have hurts, and sometimes we regard them as little hurts because they're little people. But I want to tell you, to a little person, the, the littlest of hurt is a very big thing. It's a very big thing. And you can do your child a, a great service by listening to that pain and making it a big thing in your heart too. Let that sword pierce your heart as well. Start today learning compassion. There's hurting people all around you and some of them very near to you. Learn compassion. Ruth learned selflessness. Ruth chapter 2 verse 11 says, And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me in all that thou hast done unto, 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 unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. R Ruth obviously had a... Uh, speaking of character traits, like we talked about Monday, or no, uh, Sunday, sorry, I keep, I'm like uh, one of the other brothers, I keep getting all these things mixed up. What would your name be if, if you were nicknamed by your strongest character trait? Ruth was known about, uh, by her selflessness. Boaz said, it has fully been showed me how that you've done all these things. You've left your own home, you've left your father and your mother, you've left your nativity, land of nativity, the place where you are at home and where you're comfortable, and I know all about it. You are obviously a very selfless person, and it was good. Suzanne and I would both agree that this one is huge, and it's not just for the ladies, young men. This one is huge. This one is huge. There's no room for selfishness in a mother's life, or a father's. No room for selfishness there, because all of a sudden, for a large portion of your life, there's hardly any room for you. It's all about everybody else. Your husband who is greedy of your time and attention, and all of your children who don't know anything else except that that's where nurture and holding and shaping and feeding and cleaning and all that comes from. That's all they know. And it's not their fault. That's how they were designed. That's the way it's supposed to be. We would agree it's a huge one. It, it, it affects all kinds of important things. All kinds of very important things like, like whether the window is going to be open or not in the bedroom or the fan's going to be on low or medium or... Oh, the light got left on. Who's going to get out of bed and go turn the light off? Important stuff like that. It's amazing. Little things like that can make you turn your back on each other in bed. Can't do that. It won't, it won't work. Those are just little things. It can get a lot bigger than that. Trust me. Children are going to make all kinds of demands on you, and you have a choice. Whether you're going to feed your own need or whether you're going to supply theirs. Motherhood is a lot of give and not much take. Learn selflessness today. Children care and homekeeping will take more of yourself than you might think that you're prepared to give. But it's your responsibility. It will be your responsibility if you are called to motherhood. It's not an option. Not if you want to be a kingdom mother. Not if you want to be a mother who shapes and holds and molds hearts for heaven. Not if you want to be a mother who takes those arrows that are so 
harshly formed sometimes by, by your husband and, and made strong and straight and stiff and mold them into a caring, feeling being who can actually be a glorifying individual to God. Learn selflessness. Quickly move on to the positions. Job descriptions, if you please. We've already talked about that just briefly. We're going to find that you're called to be a helpmate, a homekeeper, an encourager, a counselor, and a friend. A helpmate. We find way back in the book of Genesis, and we won't turn there, that Eve was created to be a helpmate for Adam. If you're going to be a godly mother, if you're going to answer that call, you're called to be a helpmate. To me, this means a lot of things. It means a lot of things, but I'll just pick out just a, just a couple things. If you want to be a helpmate to your husband, remember he's, he's got a vision for his home. He's a godly man. He is a guard of his home. Excuse me, if he's a godly man. He's a teacher in the home, if he's a godly man, which he will be in your cases. I believe that with all my heart. Help me means join him in his vision. He sees that rocky pinnacle up there, and he says, you know, we're going to have to take this path to get there, and join him in desire to reach that goal. Hear his heart, find out what it is, set a vision of your own even, I would say, and blend them together that rocky pinnacle on top of that mountain, that highest peak you want to reach. Join him in the vision. Support him in the vision. And when he says, you know, we're going to have to take this path as I see it, because you remember your eyes get drawn from the, from the vision sometimes back to the path because, you know, you have to skirt around this group of trees and up over a, the path changes a little bit as you go through life. And then back to the vision and then back to the path. Join him in that vision and be willing to walk with him on that path to reach that high vision for these souls that are in your care, these children that God places in your home. Join Him in His vision. Support Him in raising it higher. When He says, Honey, listen, we just heard that if, if uh, the, men, the evil men around us, this is, this is not as practical as it could be, but I was so impressed by this, that the evil men, or the evil spirits, when they look on and they see a man, that's, a man or woman or individual that's praying, they see flames coming out of him. Honey, Let's spend more time praying. Let's make it two hours in the morning. Let's make it an hour and a half before we go to bed. Join him in that. Now that wasn't, but there's lots of practical visions that he'll come up with too, and he'll say, "I had a, and I got to bless you with this." Uh, well, let's, let me do that later. I had a, I had a brother share with us, and I won't name him at all, so don't worry, young men. A standard that he set in his life, and it may be, a, it may be a challenge for you. I'll try to remember to get to that a little bit later. But if it, if it happens, if your husband's one that takes this challenge, join him in it. Remind me if I forget. Start right now by being an encourager in others and by raising the standard of holiness in your own life and by surrendering to God in your own life. Be a help meet. Be a helper to those that are near at hand. Be a supporter. Be an encourager. Be one who's willing to support the higher standard of your husband. A homekeeper. Titus chapter 2 calls us to be keepers at home. Right there in the middle right there in the middle of that whole string of responsibilities for for women. I want to go ahead and read this one. David that they may teach the young women, older women that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their children. Verse four, to love their husbands, to love their children. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home. Good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Keepers at home. 
I don't know what all that means to you, and maybe that challenges you. But I think the Word of God means exactly what it says. I know some young mothers, they get married, young women, they get married, they don't have children, and, and I'm not critical of this. But for a time, they, they're so used to going to work, they keep going to work. And, I, and here again, I'm not, I don't want to put teeth into this one. But I would encourage you to use that opportunity in that small space of time that you will have in, 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 in God's time to be a keeper at home. Why fill your life with busyness from one end to the other in that short space of a year or whatever, a few months or whatever it may be that you have before you become a mother? It may be several years, but whatever it is, you fill that thing so full, and then all of a sudden here comes all these other responses. God has given you a little time right there, at least nine months, that you can prepare yourself to be a mother. He says, be keepers at home. There's responsibilities there, lots of them, but you've got at least nine months. You can, if you get the chores all done and your little little 12 by 50 trailer, the floors are swept and sparkling clean, the windows are polished and shining, your husband's favorite food is all spread out, and what else do I do? Of course you can, you can help the older women. You can go, and I would encourage you to do that. But you have an opportunity there for at least that space of time to fill your heart and to fill your mind with God's Word about what it means to be a mother what it means to be a godly wife, you have a beautiful opportunity to prepare. Don't fill that time with so much busyness that you can't do that. God has given us that time. A keeper at home. Some of the things that you may be asked as a keeper at home, one of those is frugality. So you quit your job. And you say, I'm going to work at home, or I'm going to, I'm going to be a keeper at home. And you know, and maybe you're even a, and maybe this is too high of a standard for you, sisters, and I don't want to hurt anybody with this at all. I I'm like these brothers. I have learned to love you so fast, I, I can hardly imagine it, and I don't want to hurt. I want, you to, I want you to love me in return, and I don't want my words to drive you away from you. But I, I know somebody very well who was a, had went to school, was a nurse. And she was a little later in life, she got married. And one of the hardest things for her to do was lay that down. And lay that down. That, that uh, she had gone into that because she had actually thought she'd received a call to singlehood, and that's fine. But you will have plenty of opportunities to use that, uh, that skill of nursing. Trust me, whether you get paid for it or whether you don't. My point in saying that is, all of a sudden, you're at home. Work's all done. You're trying to be a keeper of the home. Yeah, you're trying to fill your heart. Husband's still only bringing home $23,000. Or 35000 or whatever it is. But you know in your heart that you have the ability to go out there as a certified RN and make $65,000 or more in a year's time. And it's just going to eat at you, and I'm forewarning you it will. I could be helping this situation, and we could be eating something besides peanut butter and jelly for supper every night. Prepare your hearts to be frugal. I don't know how many years we went without eating sour cream at our house. Just a few things we cut out just because we didn't have that much income. And so one of the areas we cut back was in the things we bought. We didn't buy olives. We didn't buy sour cream. And I suppose there was a few other things we could have cut out, and maybe we should still be doing that today. I'm not sure. But, um, but we do need to watch those things. That, there's frugality you're called to. Sacrifice. There will be sacrifices to make along with that. Don't worry about it when your best friend comes up and says, How old is that dress anyway? My, 
I think I remember that from back when we were 18. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Rejoice. This is a way you can help your husband. This is a way you can show your children how to sacrifice themselves. It's a wonderful opportunity. Or when one of your friends who just seems to have a knack for, for keeping things just pretty, just so, you mean, you dress your children in secondhand clothes? <laughs> Bless God! We have an opportunity to buy clothes for our children for two, three dollars instead of spending twenty-five or thirty. I honor him for that opportunity. I, we wouldn't be able to do it otherwise. Praise God for the opportunity to not just be pitching all these clothes, but that somebody can get use of them, and that somebody will have to be you when you're living at home and wondering where the money's going to come from. I've got a couple hard things to say here, sisters. One of your numbers had asked that. Would it be possible? I'm going to leave it at that so it doesn't identify anybody at all. One of your number, a sister here, asked if it would be possible to include a little on purity like we did for the boys. And I'll, I'll just be honest. Up until that moment, the Spirit had not laid that on my heart. I don't understand women, and I don't say that in a belittling or in, light, in, a, in a light way at all. I, I just don't. I, we men will never be that. For me to try to talk to you about purity is, is, not, is not going to work. It wouldn't even be tasteful. But I do want to say this, I guess. When I heard that, the Lord laid on my heart just a couple of things. You young ladies, I am sure, would be appalled if you knew that there were men lusting after you. I am sure you would be appalled if you knew that there were men lusting after your daughters. I hope that that would just turn your stomach and just just raise you up in the battle and give you determination to fight that thing with every ounce of energy you've got. There's a responsibility that you can take right on your shoulders. Care for your brother. Yes, he's responsible for his eyes and he's responsible for his heart. But like one of the brothers just keep, keeps blessing me with, one of the best ways to do battle is to have a battle plan. And you can sure enter in on that battle plan by doing the best you can to make sure there is nothing about you that would make a man lust after you. One of the things that Brother David talked about last night was covering the form of their nakedness. And he didn't really come out and say it. He talked about covering the body, but did you notice the form? Covering the form. Take some forethought. Join us men in the battle, in the battle plan. Make sure that the form of your nakedness is covered. I know that among us, Nobody uncovers very much skin. I bless God for that. But the form, sisters, just keep that in mind. As you teach your children, your daughters, do it yourself and teach your daughters the form. And there was one other thing that came to my mind as, as I thought about that. Um, and that is reading material. I don't know. I, I assume that you've all sanctified all your reading material and you've destroyed everything that would be detrimental. But I would encourage you, anything that's fiction, and this is a high standard, young people, Anything that's fiction or frivolous, get rid of it. Maybe I'll just leave that right there. I don't understand women and how reading books, and I've been told, and you probably know what I'm talking about better than I do myself, if you're honest with yourselves, what your imaginations can do. So just eliminate it. There's another thing that may happen as a homekeeper. Electronics. Did you know that electronics can take you right out of the home? even though you're sitting squarely in your office. 
or in your kitchen or in your living room with children all around you. They can take you right off. You folks are going to think I'm off on some kind of a tangent or tangent or a yen about this electronics thing. And you're right, I am. You're right, I am. You may disagree with me, sisters. Be kind to me if you do. But talk to me, too. You cannot afford to put a virtual relationship or electronic communication ahead of real face-to-face. Hand-to-hand, heart-to-heart relationships. And if you get me started on this, it's not going to start with mothers and their children. It's not going to stop with mothers and their children. This goes for the church of God, brothers and sisters. We cannot afford to replace real, face-to-face, heart-to-heart, hand-to-hand relationships with virtual and electronic relationships. There's blessings in, it, in, in that, and God is using that stuff in a mighty way. But, but when, when Daniel said that men are going to run to and fro on the earth, and knowledge shall increase, It, it, it's happening. And, and it happens. I don't know that God ever wanted the relationships to happen through the sky and, and through the, the prints and power of the air and through those little wires and buds that go into your ears. That's not how God wants relationship to be. He's using it. I say that carefully. But be careful. This thing can take you right out of the home and it can destroy the closest relationships near hand and it's not worth it. It is not worth it. It's not worth having a good relationship on the screen, whatever that is, and destroying a relationship with those that are closest to you, those that you're holding and nurturing and shaping. Take that with love, please. The work of Christ happens at our fingertips, right close to us, right where we are. That's how neighborhood is. If you have spare time, it can be taken. You can use it. It's valuable time. If you have spare time, these little hearts will take any amount of nurturing, teaching, and admonition that you can give them. Game playing and having fun. Earlier, when you only have one or two, there will be extra time if you're efficient at all. And may God give you grace to use it for His glory. Be ready to teach children contentment and the value of real relationships. Be content with what's in your home and value those real relationships. Get on a screen and discontentment can reign in a hurry. I can testify to that. We're called to be an encourager. This one is, this one is a big one. Something I read recently, sisters... And, and listen carefully. This was I was looking for statistics of motherless homes, and, and I'm glad there's not the percentage of those. I, I, had a, I had a whole list of statistics for fatherless homes. It's a good thing I didn't even get to that. If a son or daughter does not have a mother, and I'm going to say there might be a woman in the home but does not have a real mother and never receives adequate substitute mothering, the loss can have a long-term effect on self-esteem, the ability to relate to other people, Overall feelings of security and the ability to trust others. Four very, very, very important things that a child needs to have. They need to know, they need to have self-esteem, we want to be careful with that, but they need to have confidence. They need to be able to relate with people. They need to feel secure and able to stand and, and before God and other people. And they need to be able, we need to be able to trust others. And I'll testify. And I don't want to disgrace anybody, but I will testify to struggling in all four of those areas. And I had a mother in my home. I would encourage you to consider those four things very seriously and wonder and just just meditate on how you could change that in your child's life. You see how important a mother is? I don't think a father could, from what I read, maybe a father can't do that because there's many motherless homes. And this is, a father tries and he just can't quite do do it quite right. Give them that warm sense of security and trust. They learn trust 
when mother gives them a reason to trust her. They learn security when mother affirms them and confirms them. They learn to relate to other people when she converses with them. Give them words of love. Give them hugs. You just, you just, I would just say, chalk this up. I know you're not mothers right now, but words of affirmation and encouragement are huge. Do it without, um, do it in an impromptu fashion. Don't, 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 uh, don't set a um, standard course that this is the time of day I do it every day. But notice, spend your time caring about those little ones and notice and give them a hug. Give them a, a pat of encouragement. Give them a word of affirmation. You're doing a great job, child. Oh, I love you. Out of the blue, grab them. They'll get used to it, and pretty quick they'll grab you back almost before you even finish grabbing them. They'll get used to it, and it'll make a man out of them, a woman out of them who can stand in confidence and relate to other people and trust other people and feel secure. Practice words of affirmation and encouragement today. Be an encourager. Again, I love seeing you reach out to young people, or to, to children. It's been a blessing even this week to watch hearts of, of you youth reaching out to young children. Ready prayer is another one. As we think about being an encourager, there may be times you don't have the right words. You don't know for sure what to say. Ready prayer. Pray with your children. Impromptu, spontaneous. Honey, I, I don't know quite how to respond in this situation. Let's just pray. Many a great man, many a great man attributes his success in life to the prayers of a mother. We could start down through the list of them. Different presidents, different great men, different great evangelists, great missionaries. We heard about one just the other day. John Newton was one of those men attributes his success to the prayers of a mother. The next one I have here is a counselor, an encourager and a counselor. Proverbs 31:26 says, She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Openeth her mouth with wisdom. Children will have all kinds of dilemmas and situations that are strange and unique and things you've never thought of before. Um, at four years old, uh, this morning, our four-year-old is sitting there with all kinds of philosophy at the breakfast table. Suzanne looked at me and said, he's at it again, coming up with one great thought after another. I wish I could remember the one that she shared with me um, to just share with you for a little bit. of, But, you know, and it's big to them. And they want to know, how do I deal with this? this thought that come into my mind. May, may God grant you wisdom to be a counselor. They have all kinds. You see, Solomon's sword may not always be the solution to every situation. Anytime we ask about having wisdom to be a counselor, we go back to Solomon's sword, but that's not always the case. But I do know this. There's one thing I want to say. I can't answer all the questions, and you can't today because you don't even know all the dilemmas. But I know the one who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Go to him often and ask for that wisdom to be the counselor that you should be. And I do know this too, that in any situation or circumstance, any disagreement or anything that arises in your home, you'll never go wrong. You'll never go wrong in encouraging your children to have the self-sacrificing mind of Christ. In any given situation, you'll never be wrong. If a child... One thing I'll just, I'll just, I'll just share with you. One thing we do. Tattling is not allowed at our house. Just flat is not. And here's why. You remember what, what the Bible tells us, I think it's in Peter, when he says, if a man suffer wrongfully, I'm not going to be able to get the quote, but let him take it patiently. And how is a child ever going to learn to suffer wrongfully, taking it patiently, if every time he comes and says, oh, mommy, 
She says, ah, I'll check into that. And 90% of the time when a child says, he did so-and-so, they're only protecting themselves and they haven't told you what they did to spawn the thing. Now, if a child comes and says, so-and-so is doing such-and-such and so-and-so, and you learn to know your children. I'm not laying a blanket statement out here. I'm just saying, consider the fact, when you think about wisdom and, and teaching your children to have the self-sacrificing mind of Christ, teach them to suffer wrongfully, taking it patiently. The last thing is a friend. Again, just like a husband. And you may be able to have, you may have to step in where your husband's just a little hard, where he's just a little brisk and a little bit cold in his understanding. I, I didn't have time to get to being very much of a friend with the, with the young men yesterday, but you, you, you can help him in this. Titus says that young women are to be taught to love their children, to love their husbands, to love their children. A friend, again, means sacrifice. We sacrifice for our friends. A friend means special times. Look for special times with your children. You won't spoil them if it's done in the spirit of Christ. Secrets kept. Others are good at that. Little children need somebody to confide in, to help them have confidence and learn to trust. Secrets kept. This will be your place as a godly mother. Understanding. I told you I was going to tell you something way back, and I forgot, and here it is. It's back on that electronics thing. I had a brother here tell me that in recent months or years, I don't know for sure what it was, he had decided to get rid of every, every means of social networking he had on his computer. And I bless God for that. It was obviously in his, in, in his life, that was, a, that was a bondage to him, and he was willing to do And if your husband, well, my point was, if your husband sets that standard, join him in it. And I would encourage you to join him in it before you ever get there. That's, that's just Andy speaking now. I, just, I see the detriment that it's doing to close relationships in homes and in local churches and so forth. Be that as it may. Sorry, that was a, the Lord just said, hey, you forgot to say what you were going to say. Friend, understanding. Secrets kept, understanding, and lots of hugs. Lots of love. A friend. Don't let that friend ever get away from you. And young men, young women both. Tell your children and mean it that they're your best friends. Mean it. That doesn't mean just say it. It doesn't mean say it enough that you're convinced of it. I mean make it true. Make them your best friends. And, and they'll be your best friend until they're 70 and you're 90. Or however long the Lord gives you to live. Keep your child's heart as his friend. Cling to that thing tenaciously, and he'll be pliable and moldable much longer than what most folks will tell you. Most folks will tell you, shouldn't say most. There's, there's an element out there that told us and tells us that, ah, oh, you just wait till your children get to that age. You'll see what I'm talking about. Well, I see before me a group of young people that I don't believe enter that mold. I don't believe they've ever... I don't believe they've, you, you, you young people have ever, maybe I shouldn't say never, but you've broken that mold, I'll put it that way. You don't have to be the one that says, ah, just wait till your children get to that stage. You'll understand. You'll see how it is. Keep their hearts and make them your best friend, and you won't have to go through some of those hard stages. There'll be challenges. I don't mean to make it a, an easy thing necessarily for you unduly, but keep their hearts. I must quickly close here. I just have a cry in my heart among you 21 young ladies to take up the burden of molding and holding hearts for heaven. And a sober reminder, as is the mother, so is her children. Abraham Lincoln said this. He said, all that I am, and you've all heard this, all that I am or ever hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. 
I call you, young sisters, to become those angel mothers when the Lord calls you to be a mother. Again, let us pray to close this meeting. Father, I call down your blessing upon these young sisters, Lord, through the name of Jesus. They all sit here, Lord, with ready hearts. And you know the ones that you will call to be mothers. Maybe it will be all of them. Maybe it will be a few of them. But, Lord, you know the ones. Lord, would you, would you take these few feeble words and change them into a meaningful message into these young ladies' hearts? Allow them to become good potters of soft clay, Father. Give them plenty of opportunities to exercise that in these days and months and years before they actually become a mother. Lord, be merciful to them. Father, we need more children who are being molded for your kingdom. We're on your team, Lord, and we, we call for more soldiers and more warriors. And here's, the, here's these mothers, that old saying that says, the hand that rocks the cradle, the one that rules the world, Lord. We have a potential here of 21 possible mothers who could, who could bring on possibly another 200 more warriors in, the, in, your, in, your, in your army, Lord. Would you bless them with hearts to hold and to mold these new little ones that may come into their homes and hold them and sanctify them for you, God. Would you do that for us today? In Jesus' name, amen. I would like for you sisters to have a blank piece of paper in front of you. Just as soon as you get that piece of paper in front of you, I want you to put your hand down on that paper and spread your hand out over top of the paper. And when you get your hand on the paper, you take your pencil and you draw the outline of your hand all around your hand. And then you write inside of that hand Proverbs Chapter 14, verse 1. You men can open your hymnals to 269. Proverbs 14, verse 1. Just write that in there. It says, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her own hands. You've been given some rich, rich counsel today. Thank you, Brother Andy. I want you men to open your hymnals there to 269, and I want you to begin to hum very softly and reverently, pure in heart. And you are humming that as an affirmation to these young sisters that whether God calls them to motherhood or He calls them in singlehood, the call is still the same. Hands that mold and hold, build or destroy homes. But in order for the difference to be made in a hand that molds and holds versus destruction is what is in the heart. And it comes either out of a pure or an unpure heart. So I want you to begin to hum that very reverently and quietly as I talk to the sisters. Now, you sisters, we're going to move your table.
Read it again. We're going to move your table away from you. You get your hymnals, and you sisters are going to move your seats back against that table. All you other student sisters, I want you to bring your hymnals and you come up here and we're going to make a big circle and you're all going to get on your knees together. So you can get on your knees. All you other sisters come up here and you face each other. But leave enough room back here because the other sisters are going to just get up real close to each other. Get as close as you can. Close as you can. You may need to spread out a little longer down there because we need to have room for sisters to stand in behind you. And if you are a mother, I want you to come forward and just kind of start at that table and just come right around the back of these sisters and then circle them. Just come over here. Come right around here. And you can just, just, you can get on your knees. Just get on your knees around these circles. Just, just surround the sisters. Come on a little closer around this way. Thank you. Hold up. I want you to stop right there. Thank you. Now, what I would like to do is have you sisters that are students in testimony and an affirmation to the message that you've heard today, to the call of molding, holding hearts for heaven. I would like for you sisters only, just sister students, I want you to sing Number 269. You got your hymnals there? And I would just like for you to, to sing that together, just you student sisters. And then the rest of us, when you're finished, we will hum through this song and we will pray over you.
Father God, over the heads and the hearts and the hands of these dear handmaidens of yours, out of all the midst of aspirations and hopes about homes, motherhood, molding, holding, still the Word of God stands open and says, John said, that there stood by the cross of Jesus, His mother, Right where we started this morning with the banner. Oh, may these handmaidens be still willing to stand under the banner. The cross, the place of suffering in motherhood, the place of coming to death so that there can be resurrection and life the place of loss. Maybe a mother with empty arms. Maybe a mother that holds a lifeless child. Maybe a woman that is called to singlehood and servant in another way, to be a mother of others. Maybe to be adoptive mothers. Oh, Father, will You pour in life to the mother heart of these dear handmaidens today and hear their prayer and song to keep me pure in heart so that with their hands they will build according to the instructions from Your Word they have heard so clearly today and never tear down with their own hands what You are offering to build for them a home forever. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you, sisters. We just remember they're stood by the cross of Jesus, His mother. Molding and holding in motherhood never gets very far from that cross. God bless you as you take this precious message today out into the world and be thou the mother of thousands and millions. God bless you.